Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We are going to continue our series on John here. I know it's been some time, and so... uh, Luckily for us, whenever we ended, we didn't end in the middle of a chapter, so that may be helpful to some. So we'll, we'll go to the book of John here, here this evening and consider the word of the Lord. Amen. We're going to be turning to John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6 uh, this evening. And we'll, we'll start reading uh, with verse number 1. Uh, I'm probably going to read several verses, and I'll probably... Uh, you know, since you all are at home, I don't really have to worry about you standing unless you're standing at home. If so, God bless you for being respectful to the word of the Lord. But I'll just probably read all 15 verses and then and then I'll pray uh, here tonight. Uh, some of these uh, uh, stories that we are about ready to embark upon in John chapter number six are probably familiar to many, young and old alike. It doesn't matter who you are. You're probably familiar with these with these stories or these happenings. John 6 and verse number 1. The Bible says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, <clears throat> and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men... When they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that the prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And we'll stop for there now. Uh, my, my hopes is to get into Jesus walking on the water as well. Amen. And so because of that, uh, I have simply put a a title on this to kind of bracket in both of these stories of Jesus feeding the multitude on the land and then what he does on the sea by simply calling this tonight by land and sea, by land and sea. So it's just really a a holder for our content here this evening. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, I come to you this evening. God, I'm grateful to be able to stand in this pulpit again. Lord, after a couple of weeks, Lord Jesus, being able, Lord, to teach the word of the Lord. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help me tonight. Mark every bit of error from my mouth and from my mind. Help me, God, to be able to speak the truths of your word and help us, God, to learn of them. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, God, for these are the scriptures, God, that speak of you in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen God bless you tonight in Jesus name chapter 6 starts out not unlike many of the chapters in the book of John start out John using the phraseology of after this or after these things that's a very uh, common 
phrase of time that John uses throughout the gospel. And so with it being a common phrase of time that he uses, it is also in many ways a vague reference of time. Whenever you say after this or after these things, that could be something that uh, portrays immediately or it could portray perhaps a year, you know, that that could uh, be interpreted in various ways. So uh, it isn't always, that phrase isn't always narrowly and strictly a chronological meaning of coming right after what has happened before, what has ever formally happened. So when we see that after these things, we are not necessarily deducing that these things happen right after uh, the last events of chapter number 5. But what we have here is a story that is common even to the youngest of children, even up into adulthood, that's had any type of exposure to church. And that is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And it's here in the scripture, the feeding of the 5,000, something uh, that is peculiar to it is that it is found in all the other harmonies of the gospel. Uh, Many times John brings things that uh, maybe wasn't mentioned in one gospel or the other, but this feeding of the 5,000 is found among them all. And so the harmonies of the gospel comes into play then for our purposes here tonight uh, to help us understand uh, the very contents of the story, having these different perspectives of Matthew and Mark and and such others to come to bear upon the very same story gives us a well-rounded idea idea concerning content and perspective about what the feeding of the 5,000 was all about in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. For instance, according to Matthew and Mark, the feeding of the multitude came according to their gospels on the heels of learning that John the Baptist, that dominant witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, came on the heels of John the Baptist's death. John had been beheaded in Scripture, and then comes along this feeding of the multitude. Jesus, according to the Scripture, had went over the Sea of Galilee to a deserted place uh, by himself, or at very least, as the other Gospels come to bear, at very least with his disciples. He went over the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, you'll see in Scripture the Sea of Galilee called by various different names, and that's the reason the, there were so many different towns that were on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Most places would call the Sea of whatever town that they were from. If you lived in Tiberias, you called it the Sea of Tiberias. If you were of Galilee or, or some other area was the sea of whatever the place that you lived in that was on the edge of that particular sea. And so uh, we understand in scripture that Jesus had went across there to a deserted place with his disciples and perhaps, and I'm just saying this perhaps tonight, knowing that John the Baptist had died and that that news had been conveyed to Jesus by uh, his disciples, perhaps that he was just trying to get to a place being able to Uh, process the loss of his greatest witness upon earth, John the Baptist. Perhaps he was just getting away to process, if you will, uh, grief. And I think tonight uh, it's important to denote that there is nothing wrong with taking time to grieve those uh, that we may have lost that have been close to us. Because the loss of John the Baptist could have quite easily affected even disciples of Jesus Christ. Because if you remember in our John study, some of the very ones that were followers of John, John pointed toward Jesus and they became followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, like Andrew and, and some others. Uh, I believe John is another. They were originally followers of John the Baptist. And so these disciples also could have very easily been affected and impacted by the loss of John the Baptist because they had one time been his disciples. And so it's important. And, and I think we can, I think we can uh, dig this out of the scriptures here tonight that it is important in our modern day, in our modern world, to take time to grieve our losses. We live in a society by and large, and uh, I say I love to have the conversation, but I've had the conversation on more, more than one occasion.
occasion whenever I've done funerals or such and have ridden in a car with a mortician or, or someone that is a director of a funeral home. Uh, and it is of their opinion many times as well that our modern world has treated death more like an inconvenience than, and a crisis to be dealt with than an appointment like the scripture has conveyed it to be. Uh, you know, sometimes people are put out by the idea that lo and behold someone would actually die and it would interrupt their lives. Uh, in order to take time to uh, contend with the dead body. I believe I've told this church family uh, the way that things used to, and there we have some elders that probably remember this better uh, than those of my day, but you know, years ago, uh, the dead member was kept in the home. You didn't call a funeral home to come pick up the body. The dead member was kept in the home, and it was the responsibility of the family. They would go through the ritual of preparing the body, amen, for burial. That was left up to the family. And uh, from what I have read in times before, that ritualistic uh, preparation of that human family member within their home helped the family grieve appropriately and properly over the loss of their loved one. Now, we don't have that today. We call up the funeral director. They, I mean, within it's according to how quick you want it to happen. You can have it happen quite quickly after a person has expired for that body to be picked up and gone. And in some ways, from my understanding, from what I've read, I think that's hurt our grieving process somewhat. It's hurt our grieving process somewhat. But it's important for us to grieve properly. And this is not a grief and loss session tonight, so don't get anxious. But I think it was important to denote that Jesus may have been there, the disciples may have been there off on the desert place because uh, John the Baptist had died. And they were intentionally taken time apart, set aside from anybody else because of the loss. Because that is healthy mentally. That is healthy mentally. Uh, concerning whenever you suffer loss. And so uh, I know that we've had uh, some in our church just here recently suffer loss in their own uh, particular homes and families. And I want you to know that it is okay to have some deserted moments after that to collect thoughts and to reminisce and to uh, get some mental health, really grieve, cry if it's need, needful or necessary for you to do so and, and do that because it's going to help it's going to help with grief. And it's not just that, folks. It's not just that deserted time away after someone has passed or such, helping to deal with the mental aspects of grief. But here's something else that time also does for us. It also alerts us to our own brief time upon this earth. And that may be the bigger chunk of the whole aspect of grief that people don't want to deal with as much as anything else. And that is coming to terms with the fact that they want to skirt around the idea of death that's going to come someday to them themselves. That dynamic is something that each of us needs to embrace. And let me say quite frankly, we need to embrace even more assuredly today than ever. That that day, amen, that, that God has appointed man unto death. He, it is an appointed time for mankind, regardless of who you are, the moment that you've been born upon this earth, there is an appointment for you to die, and we need to embrace. I'm not talking about getting morbid or all that, but there needs to be a self-awareness that our days are numbered upon this earth. And nobody knows that number except God, all right? That we need to come to terms with our own mortality, right? Because ignoring it, ignoring, not wishing to acknowledge it won't make it any less real. It's still there. It's still important. And so uh, now all of that is very important. We need to be able to grieve losses and things of that. But furthermore, in the harmony of the Gospels, Jesus seems to also portray to us in this feeding of the 5,000 that he had even admonished his disciples in particular that they needed. And I remember this from years ago, and he'll probably never see this, but Harold Shepard years ago when I was evangelist, I was evangelizing. He was preaching a camp meeting in Georgia. And I remember him preaching, and uh, the title was something along this lines and was along this passage of scripture how Jesus told the disciples they needed to come apart before they came apart 
And, and there isn't anything wrong. And that's what Jesus told me. He said, you need to come apart. The Bible said that they had been serving. They had been giving them themselves on the left hand, on the right hand. Uh, not so much even as finding time for themselves to eat. And he said that they needed to come apart. And so the other side to this coin of not just getting away for grief, there's nothing wrong with getting away from the frenzied demands of life. All right. There's nothing wrong with taking some time and just coming apart for the purpose of coming apart. Again, the disciples had been so busy in ministry, they didn't even seemingly finding time to eat. They had been sent out previously to uh, preach and to heal the sick, as the scripture says. And then in Mark 6, 31, it says this. This is the account of Mark. And he said to them, Jesus spoke unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure. It's interesting that that's in our English Bible. They had no leisure so much as to eat. Folks, there is something as, as that can be accounted in your life as being too busy. Too busy. Uh, and I'm just going to touch on this a little bit here this evening, but not all people do this, but I know there are some that do. Sometimes people wear busyness as a badge to impress other people. All right? Sometimes people wear busyness as a badge to impress other people. Have you ever in your life overheard two people talking about how busy they were? And it almost, it almost ended up like some great competitive sport in the conversation because one person is trying to convince the other person how much more busier that they are than what that person has been. And whenever they do that, uh, and I'm just talking as pastor here tonight, whenever I hear that done, I'm almost sitting on the sidelines, you know, keeping score because it's as though someone is doing that because they want to use their busyness to impress somebody, to impress somebody. Because if I'm busy, here's sometimes the association. If I'm busy, then I'm important. If I'm busy, I'm important, and everybody should be impressed how important I am because of how busy I am. Amen? And so there are times, listen, folks, I understand there are times in life that we are legitimately busy. All right? We are legitimately busy, even if it was like for the disciples, preaching the gospel and healing the sick. All right? But Christ said, you got to come apart. you got to rest a while. All right. My wife has told me at different places at the juncture evangelizing with kids and all that. She has told me at many different times, uh, dear, she says, all work and no play makes Paul a doll boy. That's her little phrase that she uses to me whenever life is crazy and hectic. And, she, you know, she's right. And I know she's shaking her head at home right now saying, yeah, she knows that. And, but. All work and no play makes Paul a doll boy. And so I've also learned that if I don't take time to rest, if I don't take time to rest, if I ignore the Sabbath in my life, if I ignore that holy pause that God has instituted from the very beginning of creation, that sometimes he'll demand rest for me. And it's in those moments that I may find him, as the psalmist David said, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures, as the psalm says. And so it's important. Yes, we need to grieve our losses. It's important. Yes, we need to take time to rest uh, whenever uh, life's demands have just been overwhelming. All of those things are absolutely important. Amen. I will say on the same token, if... <laughs> You can really take advantage of some of the things I'm saying here tonight if you're not careful. Because if your opportunity to rest is every Sunday morning and Sunday night not going to church. I know I have no idea really of being able to talk about this when we've been shut down for two weeks. But I'm just telling you from experience. Uh, then you've taken your time of rest to a whole different level. All right. <clears throat> 
But the Bible says as they were over in these deserted places and they were resting, they were grieving their losses that it wasn't long. I don't know the time frame, but it wasn't long until they were not by themselves. A multitude of people had gathered together uh, because the Bible says they had seen the signs that Jesus Christ had performed. They had seen the miracles that he had done. They had seen his handiwork, uh, perhaps in their neighbor's life or in their own life. And so they had shown up to where the Lord was because they had seen the workings of the Lord. And we must again understand everybody including Jesus could quite possibly be dealing with the pain of John having been uh, beheaded and that's okay to deal with the losses and it's okay to take a reprieve from the demands of our life again as long and this is important as long as we don't turn them into crutches of self-absorption amen all right But there's something I believe that we can pull from the lesson tonight is all these people are coming and they've suffered loss and they're dealing with pain. I think something that we can resurrect and bring to the service tonight is this, is this lesson that I believe is conveyed in the feeding of the 5,000. And that is we can minister in our moments of pain. There's many times that we feel that whenever we're in pain or we're in struggle that we can be of no benefit to anybody else. But I think the Lord brings to a surface here. They've suffered loss and yet there comes a opportunity to uh, once again invest and showcase himself to the people. They're going to be in need. And he, in reality, ministers out of his pain. In Matthew, the disciples note uh, the different harmony of the Gospels here. In Matthew... The disciples want the people to fend for themselves. As a matter of fact, they come and they approach the Lord in Matthew. They say, send the multitude away, Lord, that they may go into the villages and such and buy themselves victuals, which is a fancy word for food, so they can go into the cities and buy themselves food. But in John, in our gospel that we are studying, the Bible says that Jesus poses a question to them. He says, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? In other words, he's saying, what are we going to do so these people can have something to eat? Jesus even poses this question unto Philip. And and here's the thing, folks, and the Bible portrays this in our Gospel of John, chapter number 6. Jesus asked Philip the question, and always remember that if Jesus asks a question, it isn't necessarily that he needs you to answer it. Matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus asked Philip this question to test Philip. Or to probe Philip, not because he wanted a vocal answer from Philip. All right? Jesus knows the answer from the question before he asks the question. All right? If he ever asks you a question, he wants you to think about the answer to the question. It's the very same thing that happened in the book of beginnings whenever God came down in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve had already transgressed. And when they heard the voice of the Lord, they hid themselves among the trees. Right? And that great question of the Lord first comes there in the beginning. Adam, where art thou? He wasn't asking Adam to lift his voice and say, I'm over here in the trees, God. No, 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 no. God already knew the question. The question was given to test and probe Adam. He wanted Adam to take inventory and say, where, where am I? I'm hiding from God. I'm hiding from the presence of God. I'm hiding among the trees. So if God asks a question, the question is for you, amen, to do some evaluation, all right? Amen. So the disciples had the attitude in some of the other harmony of the Gospels that they were not going to do anything. Send them away. Send them into the city. Let them them find some food over there. But Jesus is asking, what are we going to do? The disciples saying we're not going to do anything. Jesus is asking them, what are we going to do? In other words, Jesus has a different perspective, a different approach than what the disciples initially had. Jesus had the uh, perspective that he was going to claim the responsibility of the people. While the disciples from the initial, uh, the initiating of it had the perspective that every man for himself, right? Send them to the towns. Jesus said, what are we going to do? And here's the fact of the matter, folks. There must be, there must be some balance. There must be some balance. Because I know people, I, I know people to capture the idea of needing to care for themselves, right? 
been busy or all this. Uh, I'm going to get some time away, that, that reprieve. I know people capture the idea of caring for themselves and then others that go to the opposite end of the spectrum that they're going to care for themselves so much that they're not going to care for anybody else. So there is, it is important in the economy of God in all things that there is moderation or that there is balance. There needs to be balance. Yes, you need to care for yourself. But you don't need to care for yourself to the exclusion that you don't care for anybody else. Yet on the same token, yes, you should care for other people. But you shouldn't care then for everybody else than that you leave yourself neglected or your own household and family neglected. All right? It's not, it's not one or the other. It's both and. It's both and. And so there's must, there must be balance. There's, there's got to be the time to kill, the time to heal, the time to embrace, the time to refrain from embracing. When you read that in Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, all this time for this and that, you know what you're reading? Balance. You're reading balance. All right? And so Jesus set things straight here a little bit in the gospel. He conveys that it was not a matter of what they needed, what they, meaning the people, needed to do, but what, we, himself and the disciples included, needed to do. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 16. The Bible says, but Jesus said unto them, all right, here it is, they need not depart. He says, I know you guys are saying, send them away into the town to find food. He says, but they need not depart. This is not about what they need to do. He says, give ye them to eat. Amen. <laughs> now here's something we must consider here tonight. Perhaps the disciples weren't going to do anything, and this is important, because they felt they couldn't do anything. Perhaps they weren't going to do anything because they felt like they couldn't do anything. For instance, whenever Jesus asked about what are we going to do for them, Philip did give an answer, all right? And he basically said that they're 200 penny worth, right? 200 penny worth of bread, which was basically 200 days wages of bread, he said wouldn't be enough for all of these people. He said if we use 200 wages, 200 days wages worth of bread upon these people, he said it wouldn't be enough for all these people. For that matter, it even wouldn't be enough, Lord, for each individual to take a little. <laughs> wouldn't be enough even for them to take a little. And then Andrew comes along and he's, he's found a lad with five barley loaves and two small fishes. But again, he presents them unto the Lord, and he says, if I can put it in my Paul McGee terms here, Lord, what's this that we have to offer in comparison to the need? What is this that we have in comparison to the need? As a matter of fact, listen how weakly that he spoke about what they had in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 14 and verse 17, they said unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. They didn't think much of what they had, of course, in comparison to what they seen was needed. So again, maybe they weren't going to do anything because... <coughs> They felt they could not do anything. He says, though, in verse 18 of Matthew 14, Jesus says, bring them, meaning the loaves and the fishes, hither to me. So here's the fact of the matter. And I, I'm not trying to get Sunday school class elementary on you here tonight. But perhaps you can't do anything with what you got. But could God do something with the same material if you gave it to him? Right? Because before we're going to give the deciding factor about what can be done with the insufficiency of what we have compared to what is needed, why don't we leave that up to God and give our insufficiency to God and see what he can do with it? Amen? Because from our perspective, the human perspective is this. We don't have enough to take care of the need, Lord. 200 days worth of bread, 200 days worth of wages of bread would not be enough for everybody to have a little. So what happens in those episodes many times is that we keep whatever it is to ourselves, because in our estimation, it will not take care of the problem anyway. God, we could preach and talk here right now for a moment of how many times even sometimes, let's call it monetary or financial th things in the church that has been presented forward and someone thinks, well, I really don't have much to give and what I have isn't going to be enough to take care of what they really need. 
All right? Amen. And so with that, sometimes people neglect giving altogether. Because what they have isn't enough to take care of what is needed. And so we just, you know, we, 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 we can't take care of the problem by ourselves, so we're just not going to give any of it because it's just kind of like a flash in the pan compared to what is needed. But from God's perspective, he was like this. If they'll give what they do have, although it may be insignificant to them, if they give what they do have to me, he said, then I'll make up the difference for the need. Woo! That's how in this economy of God, when we talk about giving, it's not so much that we are really giving to a need as much as we are giving to God. And God will take your insufficiency, and when it gets in his hands, it'll be enough to take care of the need that far outweighed what you had to offer. Hallelujah. Amen. And so there's got, there's got to be a shift. There's got to be a shift in our spirits from giving to isolated needs to giving with this understanding to God who can supply all, hallelujah, all of our needs. William Barclay spoke of those meager loaves and fishes that were given as this. This is the phrase he used. He said they were providing material for a miracle. They were providing material for a miracle. Whenever we talk about miracles in modern life and in the life of the Bible, we consider a miracle act as something marvelous or something spectacular. And I guess in many regards, miracles are just that. However, we must understand tonight upon this little Bible story this evening that the raw material of a miracle may surprise us. The raw material of a miracle may be deemed insignificant, not much inadequate. Amen. But as the material that Andrew brought from the lad, amen, those five loaves and two fishes in comparison, amen, was lacking. They could not meet the need but as the miracle everyone the Bible said received as much as they would in other words whatever they desired if they wanted to keep eating they could keep eating they received as much as they would as the miracle the Bible says they were all filled and there were fragments that remained above and beyond the need that was taken care of and it all started with something that in the minds of any human being would have been not enough Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But what you have, we got to understand this tonight. What you are downplaying, what, are you, or what you may be speaking, amen, in disregards about may be the very material for a miracle. Hallelujah. What are you saying? I'm saying, sir, ma'am, you don't have to have the full amount. You don't have to have the full volume of what is needed or necessary. But what do you have? Can what Jesus was asking the question, what can we do for these people? How are we going to help these people? Oh, this is all we have. That's all right. That's the material for a miracle. You don't have to have it all. Just oh. Amen. Just a simple exchange. Whenever, whenever that raw material switches from our hands to his hands, material can turn into miracle. <sighs> Philip said we couldn't we couldn't buy enough even for them to have a little. That the days in they had their fill as much as they would. There were 12 baskets of fragments that they picked up. The giving of the five loaves and two fishes resulted in the feeding of the multitude. 5,000 men, not including men and women, in this whole amount of people. And they received back 12 baskets of fragments. 12 baskets of fragments is more than what was originally given. Let me tell you, that's how giving works. That's how it works. What was over and above was beyond five loaves and two fishes. That's the dynamics of giving. And so Jesus does some signs. He has healed people. He has fed people. 
and the scriptures tell us there in like verses 14 and, and 15 and such that the people based upon this premise of him healing and, and feeding the people, they recognize him perhaps as the prophet that Moses had spoke of that was going to be similar to Moses and in the spirit of Moses. And they were now ready, it seemed, to make him king. And so Jesus slips out of their sight uh, into a mountain <coughs> Alone, he, he slips out of their sight. In other harmonies of the Gospels, we see him even dispersing, if you will, the multitudes. If you allow me to continue to read on in John 6 and verse number 16, we talked about the land. I want to talk just a little bit about seed tonight. And I know, again, these stories are very familiar to some. And so I hope that you're staying connected as a result of that. And, uh, you know, that my voice is just not something... That's just speaking a plain old Jane story to you that you're so familiar with. But nonetheless, John 6 and verse 16. And when the Bible says, even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh into the ship. And they were afraid, but he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. And the day following, when the people which stood on the shore, the other side of the sea, saw that there was none other boat there save the one thereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone out, were gone away alone. They're starting to scratch their heads. They say, here's the boat the disciples came on. We know Jesus was on the boat, but Jesus is here somewhere. They're saying, how did this happen? That's what it comes down to. Verse 23, Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nine to the place where they did eat bread after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Now, this same account of the episode on the water is within some of the other Gospels as well. Upon considering the other Gospels, it seems that, that Jesus sent his disciples on a boat. He urged them to get on a boat to go to the other side. And that Jesus stayed to send the multitudes away. And John, it seems like they were wanting to make him king. So he ended up just slipping out from them and resorted to a private time of prayer from, we understand, from the Gospels uh, well into the night hour. And so this is the story of Jesus walking on the water to the boat. In Matthew, you read in Matthew chapter number 14, this is the account where Peter actually gets out and walks on the water, all right, to Jesus as well. All the accounts of the Gospels record the disciples are on this body of water at a good distance. They're at a good distance of their journey. They're in the midst of the sea. <clears throat> All the accounts tell us that they are being tossed uh, by a contrary wind. It indicates that they were afraid in the different uh, settings of the Gospels that speak of this. It portrays in these that Jesus walks <clears throat> to meet them out while they're on the body of water. And it also speaks of their arrival. All of the accounts of the Gospels speak of these things. All right? But here's something I want to point out to you that kind of grabbed my attention here over the past few weeks uh, concerning this particular, this particular story in Scripture on the water. And that is this, and we, we don't, <clears throat> we've heard this perhaps before, that this struggle happened while they were on a journey to somewhere else. All right? And this struggle happened, according to the Gospels, during the evening hour. And I want to point out to you verse number 17 because this really pricked my spirit very hard whenever I read this and, and, and my eyes and heart picked up on this. The, John relays in the King James Version in verse number 17 that, and it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. When I first read this, I was reading the New King James Version. And, and, and in the New King James Version, it just made it that much more poignant for me. It says it like this. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Whew. 
it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. At this point, there is no description. At this point in the story, there is no description of a contrary wind here. At this point, there is no record of them being tossed by great waves. But it's almost written, in, 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 to my estimation, almost like a footnote right here at the very beginning that it was already dark, but Jesus was nowhere to be found. He urged, if you can get into the mind of the disciples, he urged us on this boat. He told us to go to the other side. And now it's already dark. Whew. But he's nowhere to be found. He's absent. Can I tell you tonight, and I'm feeling the preacher walk into the house right now. Can I tell you this evening that I cannot count the times in my own personal life that I had no perception of where Jesus was when it was already dark in my circumstance, already dark in my situation, already dark in that issue, already dark in those finances, already dark in that family problem. And I looked and I said, Jesus has not come to me. And don't you know, it's already dark. It's not getting dark. There is not a thread of darkness coming. It's already dark and he's nowhere to be found. Oh, Jesus. You know, it's almost sort of like, uh, Lord, if you're waiting for it to get bad, to show up, uh, hate to tell you, it's already dark. Anybody out there in the listening audience been there? Lord, if you're waiting for a good time to move, uh, you done missed it because it's already dark right now. But can I tell you tonight that John in writing, it was already dark. Amen. John's already dark is no different than Mary and Martha telling him later in John 11 that had you been here, our brother would not have died. We told you, we sent word that he was sick. And the Bible even tells us there in John 11 that Jesus abode in the same place for two more days after he heard that Mary and Martha's brother was sick. John's it's already dark is like the 12 year old girl who's at the point of death who ultimately died before Jesus showed up and a servant goes and says hey don't trouble the master why she's already dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've even oftentimes said this concerning this passage of Scripture throughout the Gospels. Amen. That the Bible even seems to portray to us in the Gospels that the disciples could not see Jesus on the shore. All right. They could not see Jesus on the shore. But the Bible also plainly portrays that although they could not see him, the Bible says he saw them toiling in the they're rolling. That means that I might not perceive where he is. I may not see him. I might not feel him. I might not be able to trace his handiwork, but that's no indication that he is not aware of where I am, what I'm going through, and that it is already dark. Hallelujah. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'll tell you tonight, I feel the Holy Ghost. The Lord's calling card isn't how dark it gets or whether we are tolling in our rowing. His calling card isn't how contrary the wind may be or how high the waves may rise and fall and crash against our vessel. The calling card of the Lord is this. Is the situation positioned just so that if I show up, Will they believe in me? If I show up, will I get the glory? Because there are times that I believe that Christ has to tip the scales with darkness and tip the scales with waves and wind and even fear, if you will, in order to get the attention of the masses, to get the attention even of us sometimes. Amen. And what he is really doing. Note the scripture here. And this, this is something that's just is overwhelming to my mind. Amen. To consider Mark chapter number 6 and 51. Where the story is told there as well. The Bible says. And he went up unto them into the ship. This is Jesus. And he went up unto them into the ship. And the wind ceased. And look 
at the response. And they were sore amazed in themselves. Beyond measure and wondered. Look at verse 52. This is, this is reality here, folks. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. What are you saying? I'm saying he walks on the water, gets in their ship, and the storm seizes, and they are amazed and overwhelmed. But it's almost like they are so in awe and overwhelmed by this, and they had already forgotten a few hours earlier that he had taken five barley loaves and two fishes. He had dealt with a people with insufficient means according to human standards and did what he did. It's like they had already forgotten the provision, the handiwork of God on land and were overwhelmed what he did on the sea. They're amazed. They wondered at the wind seizing upon his arrival on the ship. And so I step back then as a pastor or just even as a human being and I look at that and scratch my head and say, no wonder, no wonder he doesn't come sometimes when it's already dark. Because we have a tendency of forgetting the last time it was dark and he came. Hallelujah, Jesus. See, the setting of the scripture, and give me five minutes. The setting of the scripture. You say, Brother McGee, you may have been down, but you still can hold your time. All right. Amen. The setting of the scripture is a vessel in the midst of the sea. It's in that position of being what we most deem in the midst or halfway distance to their destination. All right? However, the Bible portrays that when they got and when they get over their fear and they realize this is important, they get over their fear and they realize the identity of who it was walking on the water. Bible says they cried out so they thought it was a spirit. Others a ghost and different harmonies of the gospels, all right? But whenever he said, it is I, be not afraid. Whenever, whenever they realized the identity of who it was walking upon the water, this is what the scripture says in our Bible in John chapter number 6. It tells us, then they willingly received him into the ship. Mark even indicates in his story that Jesus would have passed by them. But they cried out. And the results of Jesus getting on board the ship, yes, absolutely, are amazing. Because the Bible portrays, this is the way it portrays it, that when he got on board, the wind ceased. When Jesus got on board, there are two things. When Jesus got on board, the wind ceased. And when Jesus got on board, that vessel that was at the halfway mark, immediately the ship made it to the land where they were headed to. Now listen, folks, so what we're contending here with, this, is, this isn't only about it already being dark and Jesus is nowhere to be found. It's about when he is there, will you willingly receive him in your vessel? Because sometimes, listen to me very closely, Sometimes people want to argue that Jesus wasn't there. But there are other times we must retort no one received him when he was there. Here's what I'm getting at here for our whole John thing, and I'm going to bring this together and hopefully just tie a little bow on it. Again, they willingly received him when they understood who he was. That has been, listen to me, that has been the story of the gospel of John. People only willingly receive him when they understand who Jesus really was. Because Jesus was the light, again, remember, look at it, that shined into the darkness. Someone needs to say it was already dark. Jesus was the light that shined into the darkness and what? The darkness comprehended it or received it not. Furthermore, there were people of Jesus' day, right? They are not ready or willing to receive him. Why? Because of fear. Why are they fearful? Because they're not clear on who this man Christ Jesus is. 
They see him coming and imposing their thinking as another God. And so they're fearful about accepting him because they're afraid in doing so they're endorsing a quote-unquote another God. But just like these that are on the sea, when they understood who he was, they gladly received him. And when they received him, They made it to shore and the wind seized. Just like our opening of John told us, as many as received him, to them he gave power. Right? For our scripture to become the sons of God. Because see, willingly receiving the Lord makes a great difference. Willingly receiving the Lord in the boat illustration and the overall gospel illustration of John, willingly receiving the Lord when you understand him as who he is can calm storms and help you to arrive at your intended destiny. Hallelujah. This is Jesus Christ tonight according, according to the gospel of John by land and by sea. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite you to pray with me here tonight as we close out this service. And again, remember, we are strictly online again this coming Sunday. It's a fifth Sunday. There will just be one online service in the a.m. All right. Uh, But we'll be back here then next Wednesday. Everybody can say next Wednesday in your homes. Put it on your calendar. Start to be back in church next Wednesday. Father, I come to you tonight. I'm thankful, Lord, for your spirit. I'm thankful, Lord, for the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, God, that you have come walking out unto us, Lord, in turmoil and despair in moments in which it has already been dark. God, and I want to be one that willingly receives you. God, I want my fears to be allayed because I understand who you are. God, I understand your identity. I understand that you were God manifested in the flesh. I understand you came for the sake of humanity. You came, God, not to condemn the world, but that the world through you might be saved. I pray, oh, Lord, tonight, God, I invite you into this vessel. I pray, oh God, today I want to give you the material that may be able to be turned into a miracle because it's been given and offered, Lord Jesus, unto you. Help us, God, to respect, Lord, the Sabbath in our lives. Help us, God, to respect, Lord, our moments of grieving and, Lord, God, taking time away, but at the same time not to neglect the fact that we can and may minister through pain. Hallelujah. I pray, oh Lord, today these things in your name, and I give you the glory, God, for what you'll do in the lives of your people in this coming week through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. God bless you tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here with us tonight. God bless you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.